Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Roots and Branches podcast here at New Life Evangelical Free Church. I am Pastor Brent, and it is episode 19. We are picking up a conversation that I was having with Stephen Jelks, so we're going to tune back in and hear about moving from my design to God's design. Okay, so this connects, <laughs> let me connect it back to like our story across scripture, because as we were talking about just that God is forming a people who are like quite literally, he's he's forming a visible presence yes. of his rule and reign. In previous in previous episodes of this podcast, we've talked about um God's people under God's rule and God's place. And we talked about how God's presence is with us, that God's creating a people who he is drawing to himself, that he is showing what the reign of God, the rule of God looks like as we live in his reality. And he's doing that as a display to the rest of the world. That's what he's doing through his chosen people. And then therefore in the church under Christ, we are living witnesses looking ahead to the future reality, the new heavens and new earth, but Mm -hmm. we're pointing to the truth of the gospel as we bear with one another. Okay. So what's fascinating, and you mentioned COVID. Okay. Let me reflect on one of these elements too. You said it changed some perspective for you and for others about how we view our relationships with our families. Yes. It also was a, it was a dividing line in people, how they view the church because there's been a fork in the road happened. Okay. And so I'm just going to like relay a little bit of experiences for me, but also just things I'm seeing. There was a fork in the road where some said, okay, this is a great opportunity for us to take the church and rethink what it is and go online with it and make it accessible. Yes. And so now, and uh, you know, some of you might feel convicted about this. I hope you do that. There was this push towards the convenience of church because, oh, we've got the technology to make it happen. And so now I can do it on my own and I can do it kind of on my terms in the time that I want to do it in my pajamas. There's another, so the four, the other side of the fork in the road is that there were, there's others who realized at that moment, holy smokes, I miss people. I don't want to be alone. And they're realizing the, one of the, one of the deepest values of the church is that we are the collective manifestation of the people of God his presence working in and among us through our relationships and how we interact, that requires face-to-face. Yes. We have actually more, I'll put it this way, when we come together face-to-face, we got more problems. It's a lot easier when you do it like virtually or you do it remote or you do it on demand is you, you, I don't know, you might not have less interpersonal conflicts because I don't have to actually see people face to face. Right. But when I do see people face to face and we have to work through issues together and we do it by the truth of the gospel, we do it with humility. We do it by surrendering to the Lord. We do it by bearing with one another in love. You have now, to. Now we become the living witness. The, the consumption of media is not a living witness to the gospel. The interaction face-to-face of people as we walk side by side in the messiness of life, but we do it with forgiveness, we do it with grace, and we do it under the Lordship of Jesus. That's when we become the edifice, if you will, the temple being built of God's people putting on display who he is. Can we talk about redefining? Because sure. that's exactly what sure. it is. It, it's all, again, it's yeah. another redefinition. Yeah. We're going to call church this now. Yeah. Where people sit at home. Yeah. And for a time, that needed to happen. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It was a poor substitute. It was a very but it poor, was a substitute. Right. And there were some people who were like, no, that is not what church is, and we're not going to not gather. 
Yeah. Because they understood the definition of the church at its core. Okay. Yeah. So one of the definitions in the Greek for church is koinonia. Yeah. Okay. In architecture, there is an architectural element at the corner of your building. Mm-hmm. And it's called coining. Oh, wow. And it is an interlocking of bricks. An oh. interlocking of large stones. Oh, awesome. And you've seen it. If yeah. you take a look at if you take a look at a church that was built in the early 1900s and before, yep. th- this is very prominent. It's a very prominent architectural feature in the building of churches. And not just churches, very expensive homes have this as well. Okay. Where they will take large, sometimes limestone, and they will interlace them together all the way up the corner of the house. Yep. And that is how the house is locked together. Yep. So that's literally how the temple in Jerusalem was constructed. I've been there and seen the excavations and they alternate and interlock the stones on the corner of the temple. That's where the, the building gets its strength. Yeah. And it's tied all the way down to the foundation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The word church emanates from that it means coming together mm. i used to go to a church from time we would visit a church the church was called koinonia uh-huh and i did not know what that meant and my mother would go it's called the gathering yeah because that was a different definition but yeah. really it's the coming together yep it's the fellowship the, the gathering the, the togetherness you cannot be a church and not gather together yeah. You have to come together. Yeah. You have to interlock. You have to come side by side and arm in arm with your brothers and sisters yep. and help bear their infirmities. Yes. And it was even more so yeah. in the ancient Greek culture because Christianity was largely a slave religion. Yeah. Yeah. And you had abusive masters to some of those people. Mm. And so when you would get together, church yeah you needed some ministering to yep greatly because you had to go back to that master yeah who may have been abusive and you needed some strengthening and refreshment yeah yeah and it's that's or strength yes and that's where the embodied reality of the church gathering is non-negotiable and yeah, there may be moments where it's like, okay, we got to put that on positive because there's like a emergency. Yes. But that's not the ideal and that's not the way that we should be pressing towards because it even gets to simple things like there's something about being in a room of gathered people, hearing their voices as they sing to the Lord and the sound waves and how they impact you. <laughs> there's just something about the embodied reality that you're a human being, you're a creature, you're an Absolutely. image bearer and you have a body. So I love that reality, but that that's when we, so when we talk about the church as an, I'll call it like the people of God, the, 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 the construction, the God constructing a visible witness to himself, we blood-bought sinners, blood-bought children of God, that we are redeemed sinners, that when we live under his design and we do it together side by side, that the watching world sees a different reality. Yes. That's what it means. That's the story across the Bible ever since God's redemptive plan is starting to unfold in the early parts of the Old Testament. But that's what we're fulfilling under Christ in the church, looking ahead as a foretaste of the new heavens and new earth. Man. 
It's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Look, I have a scripture here. Yeah. Psalm eleven three. Okay. Now, just to pick, just to revisit the the coining, right? Because remember, yeah. it's locked together at yeah. the corner, all the way down to the foundation. Yeah. Okay. Now, think about this. Psalm eleven three. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Mm. If you are locking together and you come down and you don't hit the foundation, doesn't matter that you came together. Yeah. There is no foundation for you all to rest on. Yeah. So if you, the <laughs> foundation, foundations are the most important thing. And then you all talked about that in your earlier podcast. Yeah. They are the most important part of the building of the home. And yes. if the church is essentially Christ's home. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the foundation has to be there. The word has to be here. The word has to be preached. Yes. Or else it, it, if we're coming together, then the building will collapse. Not the physical building. Yeah. But yep. the spiritual building will collapse. It has to be founded on something, right? It has to be yep. founded on who are we talking about? Ultimately, yeah. Christ. Yeah. If it's not founded on Christ, then you don't have a church, man. Yeah. Yeah. You, you just have a coming together. Yep. You're exactly right. I I think we're let, let me turn to First Peter. So Let's First Peter two verses four to ten use this exact metaphor. And this is what the text says. As you come to him, the living stone, talking about Jesus, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe... This stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, yes. and a stone that causes people to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Remember that story we talked about the Old Testament and that whole trajectory, okay? This is tapping into that that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Remember Genesis 1? We talked about light. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The, w w there's so much here, but one of the metaphors or one of the things that's so strong about this architecture metaphor um, is... I had, a, I had a professor describe this about ancient buildings, and we talked about this a little bit ago. Yep. That the cornerstone is the most important piece. Absolutely. And the, the, how large the cornerstone is, how pure it is in terms of flaws or cracks or whatever. Yes. How, how, how secure it is placed in the ground. All determine how large of a building it can be and how secure the building is going to be. And so the cornerstone is Jesus. Mm -hmm. He's the precious and chosen cornerstone. And he is the determining factor on the strength, health, longevity, reality of the church. Like we, if without him, we've got nothing. Yeah. But with him, God's, the edifice of God's spiritual house, the structure he is 
designed and is making and is perfecting through the church in all of our fumbling around is secure and will never topple because it's built on the cornerstone of Jesus. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't, or as you would say, wow, (laughs) mind mind blown. I love that. (laughs) I love that. Look, one thing that I know, um, is that when those buildings were, were built and they're built the right way, they took a lot of planning and a lot of manpower in order to execute those things. Yep. Especially if you're going to build a real building, a real huge building. Yep. That's why the temple was made on basically large stone platforms so that the temple itself, there was when Jesus said, look, there's not going to be a stone left on top of each other. He was not talking about the foundation. Yeah. yeah. He was actually talking about the temple. And in 70 AD, the temple came to Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not a stone left on top of one another, like he said. Yeah. But the foundation of the temple was still there. And yep. that took a lot of. That's because when you're holding that, when you have. <laughs> yeah. When you're building a massive edifice, it requires a foundation that is able to handle much more than what the edifice is. Yep. Simply because when you put that edifice up, you have to have that building stand up to what the environment is going to put on the building. Yep. Okay. So we have Two houses. Yeah. Yep. One's built on sand. Yes. And one's built on the rock. Yes. The one built on sand can go up very quickly because you do not have to pay attention to the foundation. Yep. The other one is going to require more time and more effort and more sweat, more blood. Yes. Because, well, you know, let's just face it. When you're building, you're going to get hurt. Yes. Anybody <laughs> busted their knuckles out there? Yeah, I have. Busted your knuckles, right? Yeah. You swinging that hammer? I've busted my knuckles. A number of times, yeah. run my yeah. thumb through a table saw. Yeah, I got shot in the temple with a nail gun. Oof. I mean, and these things were accidents, but yeah. yep. they take time. They yep. they they are very arduous. Okay, so you have someone who wants to put something together really quick. They're going to sacrifice somewhere. The yeah. greatest sacrifice that you can make to make something happen very quickly is at the beginning, at the foundation. Yeah, yeah. If you if you neglect the foundation, you can take off very quickly mm. and you can be hot for a minute. Yeah. But when the rains come yep. and the waters rise yep. and the wind blows, mm-hmm. something that stands out is that it beats on both houses. Yes. And so many people, I think, overlook the fact yeah. that just as we have common grace. Yeah. You know what? Yep. We also get common rain. We get yes. common wind. T- common tornadoes. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Which house are you going to want to be in Yeah. when trials come? Yep. Yeah. All right? Yep. The one built on the rock. The one that's built on the rock. <laughs> this yeah. reminds me of a story Yeah. of a very well-known architect who is very famous for making buildings that look, look, look like balled up pieces of paper. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. So there was a a pastor who went on. um, He wasn't from California, but 
this famous architect had made a one of these world-renowned buildings in California. I want to say it's, if it's not San Francisco, I believe it might be either in L.A. or Sacramento. I think it was L.A. Okay. It sounds like it's in L.A., if I'm, my memory serves me correctly. So they're taking this tour, and the tour guide was waxing eloquent about how the architect is proving that you don't have to stay within the rules, and you don't. And he's building these buildings that don't that defy the laws of nature, and <laughs> you don't have to stay within the lines and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and yeah. the pastor says, did he take the same approach at the foundation? Yeah. Did he bend the rules when he put the foundation in the ground? Yeah, certainly hope not. And the uh, <laughs> and the tour guide, him and Hall, uh, 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 let's move on. Yeah. You would hope that if someone is going to take some kind of liberties in putting a structure up, that they don't yeah. take those same liberties at the founding. Which also makes me think, and it's just popped into my head, about people who say one thing and live another thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Lack um, of integrity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In particular, I'm thinking of people who perhaps are, I don't know, you, you want to you know, talk about communism mm. and how people who end up being, or socialism who are big, huge proponents, but then they live a very capitalistic lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, I see. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like at your foundation, yeah. you don't live the way you preach. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's yeah. no consistency There's there. There's no consistency. Yep. I didn't necessarily yep. mean to go there, but that yep. was just a thought that, that came yeah. in my head. Yeah. But you can make the house look a certain way. Just yeah. make sure that that foundation is right. Yeah, it has and to you, be. And you can't put, like I said, I think yeah. it was the last uh, episode. It's the reason why God took Ananias and Sapphira is because mm. the Holy Spirit was putting together the church. And at the foundation, you had two liars. Yeah. Can't you had two that. deceivers, and you can't do that. Mm. Why? Because yeah. they were speaking Satan's language. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Man, it's fascinating. I so you know that I lived in San Francisco for like five or six years. Yes, and it's earthquake territory. Uh huh. And it's well known in the city that three quarters of the city or so burned down in 1906 after an earthquake because everything caught on fire. I mean, back then there's a lot of oil lamps and candles and stuff that people are lighting their homes with. So yeah. earth starts shaking. Large parts of the city are in the flatlands, are all on sand, and uh, it is liquefaction sort of creates this like jelly-like consistency of the ground when the earth is shaking. It depends on a certain way. But up on the hills in San Francisco, there's seven hills, all the homes up there were just fine because the foundations were sitting on the exposed like bedrock basically near mm -hmm. the tops of the hills. The, the the soil on the top is very thin. So all the homes on top were just fine. Yeah. And some of them still burned because the candles fell over and sure. such. But the, all the flat areas, devastated, like absolutely leveled. Same thing in 1989 or yeah, 89 with the other earthquake that happened there. Everybody knows that those flat areas of the city are incredibly dangerous in an earthquake. Yes. But all the... All, all, all of the homes up on the hills are all completely safe because they've got those foundations all the way down onto that rock and they just bounce along on the rock rather than getting shaken around by the sand. Yeah. So you sort of saw that reality lived out in the destruction of that city. But 
um, as I lived there, people would tell that story or they would talk about the reality of um, how important or how dangerous those parts of the city are and how much safer you are up in the hills on That's, the rock. You would think that you would be not as safe in the hills because it's up high. Yeah. And you, when we think of high hills, we think of mudslides, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah right. Yeah. And and yeah. we do have those in other parts of California yep. where yep. you will see these massive, you know, yep. mudslides and, 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 you know, people's homes getting taken out and you see this. Yeah. There yeah. goes the house down the side of the hill. And it's like, oh, my yeah. goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And it matters so much. I think the point we're making here is that with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, yeah. the foundation of the church, when Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail, it's like you, you tie these together. You realize that the church is founded on Christ himself. Yes. His blood is perfect sacrifice. You talk about a foundation with no flaws. You have a sinless perfect, fully human, fully God, sacrifices a substitute on our behalf, who is the cornerstone that is that, that we're built upon. And so relying on him is a sure, secure reality. Yes. And, and so um, one of the things that's fascinating about that, if you fast forward to the end of the Bible, um, there is a description of the new Jerusalem mm. that has the walls of the city. This is chapter 21, verse 14. The walls of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the lamb. That is a huge foundation, by the way. Yeah. So what's so fascinating is almost like the, the word there is not so much that there's different foundations. It's like pillars on top of the foundation is kind of the way that, that most people understand the, the terminology there. And so there's a sense where, from the beginning, from Jesus constituting in the apostles the church age with the people of God constituted under Christ, that the apostles are like these 12 pillars built on the foundation of Jesus Christ himself, and that then the church is built as this um, glorious architecture of God bringing together his blood-bought children to reflect his glory in how we humble ourselves before the Savior. It's so beautiful. And so even the end of the scriptures describe a garden city that is now like a cosmic temple. It says there's no temple because what it means is that God himself and the lambs, Jesus Christ slain for our be on our behalf, yeah. are now like the source of light and the source of God's goodness and his presence in us and among us and in the whole cosmos as all sin and evil are eradicated. And now you've got not only, uh, it's not just a recovery of the garden. Mm -hmm. It is like a glorious expansion, explosion of the reality of God's beautiful architecture <clears throat> in the grandest sense possible. That's what the future new heavens and new earth is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm dancing over here a little bit. <laughs> God is the premier architect. Yeah. I'm working at a company where we do high-end renovations and we do new builds. Yeah. On this whole deal, I am seeking to be like my father in heaven. Mm. Yeah. And if I see him as the premier, the supreme architect, Mm -hmm. And I want to be like dad. Yes. Okay. He showed us what's going to happen at the end. Where he is going to renovate the earth first. And then he is going to make it. Yeah. New. Yeah. <laughs> 
So he makes it new at first, and then it goes through a renovation, and then he makes it new at the end. <laughs> yeah. It's That's just like an architect. Yes. <laughs> it's like, no. he. I don't know, but we said that you can't get away from it. It's from the beginning to the end. Yes. And at the very end, the way that this lines up, you if you are an amillennialist, this kind of doesn't work. Mm, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I keep throwing these little bombs in there. I'm sorry. <laughs> it it does, you won't be able to see it like that. Yeah. But for 1000 years you will have a renovated earth, a mm. remodeled earth. Mm. So we're not back to original conditions. And huh. I don't think we ever get back there. Yeah. Because after Satan is released after the 1000 years. Yeah. Then comes a new heavens and a new earth. Yeah. And I don't think we're given much about how that looks. Yeah. Yeah. From, from, and f- please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. But I don't think we're, it just says that there is a new heavens and new earth and we're given certain aspects yeah. of how it looks. But we're not given as much as we can see now. Yeah. We're not told how big the earth is in the new heavens and new earth. Yeah. Yep. We're yeah. not told how big the universe is in the new heavens and new earth. I mean, we're not told that in Genesis either. But I think that God in his sovereignty has, you know, left a lot of that out because it's like, no, you need to be there in order to see it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How would you describe it? How would like, you describe that? <laughs> I don't you, know. You are not going to be able to describe that. Yeah. So he's, in my mind, he's like, okay, I'm giving you the offer to come see it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, trust me by faith. Yes, repent of your sins. Put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. Yep. And yeah, one of the one of the fringe benefits, fringe, yeah, benefits is you get to see this new heavens and new earth. The major benefit is you get to be with me. Yep, face to face. Face to face. Yeah, it's awesome. It's just so amazing. So here, here's how I'll wrap this up. It, one of the reasons why we're having this conversation and we're doing this podcast is to help us get an understanding of our disciple-making vision here at our church. And what we mean by disciple by doing, taking the very things that are the truths of things like God's design and finding hands-on ways to show that that is true and good and beautiful, that God is the designer and has a design. It's simple things even as this summer, we're going to be doing our garden discipleship with the kids again. And it's such a simple way to say, Kids, look, God is the grand designer. Mm-hmm. Do you see how all these pieces fit together with this seed in this soil, with this sun, with this air, with this water, with this plot, with your labor to till it, weed it, prune it, and help make it fruitful? It is just a simple metaphor that is get literally get your hands dirty in the soil to show in living reality that God's design is true, good, and beautiful. So what we envision as a church is that our disciple-making vision here is that we, when you step foot onto this 10-acre property, that by even how we design the landscaping, how we design our facility, how we embody it as a community, how we live side-by-side in relationship, the very activities we do, like growing a garden or whatever it is, that you get this impression that I just stepped into a different reality, mm-hmm. a reality where God is creator and he's designer and he's made it, and we're going to reflect the beauty of it. So 
even our, our back 40 team, the design of the landscape architecting we're doing is we talk to our landscape architect who's drawn up some maps for us. And then our team talks about this. We said, we want this property to reflect the uniqueness of how God made Southeast Minnesota Ooh. in its ecology. Ah. So we are, we're, we're removing invasive species of plants and trees and such. Okay. And it's not just for quote unquote beauty of the nature environment. It's because we want to show that the fact that God created a system in his creation in this particular part of the country, in this particular spot on the globe, where there's certain ways that the design gets reflected and displayed and shown in the plants and the critters and all the various things that, that work that's, together. That's wonderful. So what you're going to do when you step across this, the, the, the threshold of our properties, you're going to go, where am I? Because you're going to see a savanna and prairie and woodland and orchards and all kinds of different things. And we're going to say, this is a, a scale model on 10 acres of God's good, beautiful design for his creation in the specific region of Southeast Minnesota. Are we not trying to tell the story of God's created order? We are. Remember when That's I was exactly talking about it. talking about the, 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 the master builder, yes. that Brent Hull, and his ability to tell the story of... That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. So we are telling, but uh, literally on our property, and then how we inhabit that property mm -hmm. as the image bearers, yeah. okay. the stewards of it. We are telling a story in hands-on ways, in living reality as a signpost to a different kingdom, kingdom that's not of this world, yeah. but that, and, and a foretaste of the new heavens and new earth, yeah. although we still live with the curse and there's weeds and there's all kinds of yeah, problems. All the weeds. Toil, right? Yep. But we are showing, we are telling the story of God's redemption from beginning to end in a living metaphor as we inhabit this particular space. Yeah. That's what our vision is. So what you're going to see is uh, pilot projects. You're going to see uh, things that we do with kids, teenagers, adults. We're going to try and find ways to enact, like tell the story of God's redemptive plan as we demonstrate it in these tangible ways. That's what our goal is. So we're connecting concept about the truth of God and going that distance down to, to the impact in the heart as you see it. Like, we don't just say God is a designer. We're mm -hmm. going to show you. Yeah. We're going to show you how the design works. Yeah. We're going to show you how the design works as we show you our prairie and then our bees and then all the various pieces that go into the ecology of that particular space. It's gorgeous. Can I say that none of this makes sense without a creator? You're right. None of this math doesn't make sense yep. without... Yep. Yep. A mathematical ultimate mind. Yes, without order. It's something that is very interesting. Right in Revelation. Yeah. Two plus two equals four on earth. Two plus two equals four in heaven. When yeah. John was told to take out the measuring rod, yeah. he says, oh yeah, this is the dimension of man and of angels. Yeah. Yeah. A yeah. foot is a foot in heaven. Yeah. As a foot is a foot on earth. Yep. Right? Yep. It's, it, yeah, it speaks to God's consistency, yes. his providence, yes. his sovereignty, the fact that God is unchanging. He is unchanging. Yeah, He has rules. He set them in place. He put that plan in place, and it does not change across his entire universe or universal created order. Yep. Yeah. So here's my invitation for you listeners. Think about, well, okay, here's the challenge. 
the transformational outcome we desire is that you would move from my design to God's design. And the thing that I want to challenge you with is this. You were created to thrive in dependence on God. The lie that you will hear in our culture is that you're going to thrive by being independent, by deciding your own way, by doing things by my design, whatever it is. But you're going to thrive by coming under God's way, his design, his plan, and aligning yourself to the way that he created you to be. And so that takes that posture of humility and surrender, which we talked about earlier. And that's my invitation. I think that's where I want to close is consider what it means to live under God's design in every part of who you are, in your, personally, in your own heart, in what you value and what, where's, where's, I'll call it like, where's the altar of your own life? Like what's the center of gravity in your own heart? What's at the center of your city or your home? Think about it in your household with your family. Think about it in your vocation. Think about it in your friendships. Think about it in how you interact in the broader world. We need to come under God's design, and you are going to thrive in that reality. All right, friends. Thanks, Stephen, for being with us on our Roots and Branches podcast here at New Life Evangelical Free Church in Hastings, Minnesota. We just did uh, episodes talking about my design to God's design, and we'll continue that conversation about transformational outcomes in future episodes. Thanks for being with us.